pressures of life tend to mount this time of year. As I look at my own life and reflect and I think about all the responsibilities that I have, but also as I see others going through a really difficult time during the holidays over various reasons. Um, We are going to continue and finish our series today in the book of 2 Corinthians. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and if you're new here with us, we've titled this series, Power in Weakness. Power in Weakness, and that's one of the things, one of the main things that we see throughout this book is power in weakness. Today I've titled the message, Real Christianity, from 2 Corinthians chapter 13. It might be argued that through throughout both the letters and the all the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, he argued for what real Christianity looks like, what it means to, to know and follow Jesus and to live lives that reflect a genuine faith in Jesus, a genuine relationship with Jesus. And as we've talked about a number of times in First and Second Corinthians, the Corinthians had become believers in Jesus, but there were a lot of messes within the church. There was a lot of messiness and a lot of sin and immaturity that needed to be addressed within the Corinthian church, just like many churches today. And at the end of Second Corinthians, the Apostle Paul gives a warning and he gives instructions For the Corinthians to examine themselves, to test themselves, and see whether they are in the faith. Test themselves and see whether they are in the faith. Now those of us who have gone through school, we all know the pressures of test, right? We've all experienced that that um, the night before, each studying to prepare for the test or going in to a test either well-prepared and confident that you're going to ace the test or feeling that anxiety that, oh, am I going to pass this test that is set before me? And as I was thinking about this, I thought about what's the purpose? What's the purpose of tests? What is the purpose of tests? And Tests are are given to reveal where a person is academically so that they can continue to focus on what they need to learn. Tests help determine knowledge and knowledge gaps so that they can be filled. And tests reveals strengths and weaknesses. And this helps us for our further development. Some of us have maybe had some really traumatic experiences when it comes to tests. If, If that's you, raise your hand. Okay. Now, I, I, I myself, have, I know what it means to cry over the pressure of a test, knowing that the, the work is hard, the study is hard, and it just feels overwhelming. Um, and so the Apostle Paul instructs the, the, the Corinthians to, to test themselves, to examine themselves. And so we're going to look at, at that, and we're going to look at what real Christianity is. And there's a number of things that we can highlight throughout the book of Second Corinthians and even First Corinthians. Um, but I've, I've selected five different um, elements of what real Christianity looks like. And we're going to spring from this chapter, but this may be more of a topical uh, message today. So if you have your scripture, go ahead and open it up to Second Corinthians 13. 
starting in verse 1. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I've warned those who sinned before and all others, and I've warned them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything except against, we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak, you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of authority, that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So here's our big idea this morning. Followers of Christ are called to examine the genuineness of their faith and grow into spiritual maturity that confirms its authenticity. Followers of Christ are called to examine the genuineness of their, their Christian faith and grow into spiritual maturity that confirms its authenticity. Okay? So Paul has unpacked for the Corinthians what real Christianity looks like. He's instructed them in the way of Jesus. He's led them by example. And he's led them with words of instruction and exhortation and warnings and, and promises that he has declared uh, along with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul gave the, the Corinthians criteria for what real Christianity was and was not throughout his letters in the Corinthians. Paul taught that real Christianity is marked by love, marked by humility, and it's marked by truth. Paul taught the Corinthians that real Christianity is accompanied by transformed life. Paul taught the Corinthians that real Christianity is Christ-centered and self-denying. Paul taught the Corinthians that real Christianity is energized by the grace of God rather than human effort. It is empowered by the Spirit rather than the flesh. And here's just a summary 
of real Christianity as Paul unlaced or unpacks it to the Corinthians. But first, let's look here today at real Christianity being established by apostolic authority. Real Christianity was established by apostolic authority. Throughout this letter, the Apostle Paul has had to defend his apostolic authority. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ, one who had seen the risen Christ, and Christ had transformed his life, and Christ had sent him as a representative to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to plant churches, and even to write scripture. The Holy Spirit inspired the apostles to write the letters that we have within the Bible. And the Bible contains apostolic uh, instructions, authority that comes from God through the apostles. And so we see in chapter 12, Paul said that the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Now this was an issue. Paul had to defend his authority as an apostle to the Corinthians because there were false apostles. There were people, leaders who were misrepresenting, misrepresenting Christ. And they had uh, preached a different message. And, and Paul warned the Corinthians about being led astray by the error of these false apostles or super apostles. Their values that they had were, were more shaped by Corinth than they were by Christ and the kingdom of God. And so Paul also wrote in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 20, he says that, that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, of, um, Christ Jesus himself being the, the cornerstone. And so we see that, that God sent these leaders, these apostles who had been with Jesus, who had seen Jesus, met Jesus, and been uh, who represented Jesus as ambassadors of Christ. And so Paul did a great deal of defending that authority. And with that apostolic authority, he gave warnings to the church. In verse 2, he says, I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warned them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come, I will not spare them. And so we see Paul letting them know that he will exercise his apostolic authority if he needs to, but he... He hopes and he prays that they would repent before he returns so that it wouldn't be a painful visit. He wrote them a severe letter addressing sins within the church that needed to be addressed. And it seemed that some of them had repented, but, but he, he, he still was concerned that there, he would show up and he would find that some haven't. St. Augustine said that it's better to love even with the accompaniment of severity, than to mislead by lenience. It's better to love. Better is it to love, even with the accompaniment, accompaniment of severity, than to mislead by lenience. So the Apostle Paul, who wrote the love chapter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, also wrote the church discipline chapter in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. And so he showed the church that 
that real Christianity involves church discipline. And it involves warnings. It involves instruction. It involves speaking the truth in love, even when it's hard and difficult and confrontive. And the Apostle Paul exercised that authority as an apostle within the church. Now notice his statement about the purpose of his apostolic authority in verse 10. He said, for this reason, I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of authority that the Lord has given me for the building up and not for the tearing down. Paul makes it very clear here that the authority that he was given was for the purpose of building up the church. And he made it very clear to the Corinthians that when the Corinthians gathered together in corporate worship, there should be a focus on building up one another. Not drawing attention to oneself, but pointing our attention to Christ and building up one another in love. For this is what love does, he says. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, knowledge puffs up, but love Builds up. And so, and, and now, I know when we talk about authority in this way, um, or in, and read these words of the Apostle Paul, we all have maybe experiences where we've seen misuse with authority, where we've seen abuse, uh, spiritual abuse within Christian churches, and we've seen people in the name of Jesus do things and say things that don't match the way of Jesus, that don't match the biblical standard for what's right and what's good and what's loving. And that's why you and I need the scripture, the scripture that God has given us to help us discern what is from God and what's not. The second thing is that real Christianity is gospel-centered. Look at verse 3 and 4. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Again, here we see the theme of strength and weakness or power in weakness. And this, this was uh, in contrast to the Corinthian ideal of leadership. The, the Corinthian idea of what leadership is to look like. As uh, David Garland says, wrote, he said, The Corinthians understood power as something exerted by assertive, domineering forceful personalities who boisterously and tyrannically willed authority. The apostle sees divine power perfected in weakness. There's the contrast there. And we see this in Jesus. And the apostle Paul mentioned this in chapter 10. That, that, that he, he said uh, he exhorted the Corinthians by the, by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. He, he tied his, his own perceived weakness, as, as the super apostles and the, the Corinthians perceived Paul to be a weak leader because he was humble and he was gentle and he wasn't using his authority aggressively and abusively and showing off his power. Paul, Paul connected his own approach to ministry with how Jesus was, who was. Jesus was lowly and gentle in heart. 
He used his strength and his authority, his power, to serve and not be served. For the Son of Man came to serve and not be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So real Christianity is gospel-centered. It's founded upon the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And what we see when we look to the cross is we see, we see weakness in a sense, or at least the world does. In a sense, there is weakness that Jesus himself stepped into in taking on humanity. He became a, a frail human being, and he became killable. He, he made himself, he, he, he took on flesh, and he dwelt among us, and he allowed himself to experience the vulnerability of being crucified on the cross. But when we look at the resurrection of Christ, we see the power of God manifested. It looked like a defeat to the world and to, to Satan and the demons. But Christ on the third day rose again and displayed the power of God. We also see, um, Paul, Paul Barnett says this, um, that since Paul, like his like all his fellow Christians, live in this age on this side of death, it is to be expected that the main sign of Christian existence will be weakness. That is, the same kind of vulnerability that Christ himself chose to adopt. Again, this ties in to the words of Jesus in chapter 12 to Paul when he was struggling with the thorn in his flesh. Jesus said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And we as believers in Christ, we embrace that. We follow this way of acknowledging that we are weak, but Christ is strong. And the Apostle Paul led with this sense of um, uh, dependency Upon Christ, acknowledging his own weaknesses and allowing Christ to show his strength through his own weaknesses. The next thing we see about real Christianity is that real Christianity is incarnational. He says, examine yourselves and see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Jesus Christ is in you. This is... A profound truth that should get us excited and should encourage each one of us. Not only did Jesus come to earth and take on flesh and become a human being and he dwelt among us. But he comes to live inside of us. To give us his very presence, his very spirit to live inside of us. And this is what it means to be a Christian. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Okay? Not only are we in Christ, but He is in us. He dwells within His people. And He will be with us for all eternity. And so the Apostle Paul says, since, since the Corinthians, or some of, the, some of those within the Corinthian church were challenging the Apostle Paul's authority in examining whether he was a legit apostle from God, Paul turns it around 
and says, you guys need to examine yourselves. Test yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. See whether you are in the Christian faith. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is, is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. And I hope you will find out that I have not failed the test. So notice this. The Apostle Paul makes this connection with the Corinthians testing themselves. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that the, the Corinthian church were his, the, the, the converts, those who became Christians in the Corinthian church, were his letter of recommendation. You see, the fact that the Corinthians' lives had been changed by the power of the gospel that the Apostle Paul preached pointed to the authenticity of the Apostle Paul's apostolic authority. And so he, he makes that connection. He says, unless indeed you fail to meet the test, I hope that you will find out that we have not failed the test. And so what does it look like to test ourselves, to examine ourselves? If we are to do this as Christians, if we are to not just assume, yeah, I'm okay with God because I go to church, because I was baptized as a kid, or because I walked the aisle and I said a prayer. There's plenty of people who have cultural Christianity and who are Christians because mom and dad are Christians. Or who consider themselves Christians because they're Americans. Okay? And, and Christianity is, is so much more than that. And it's so much better than that. It's about Christ living inside of us. It's about Christ transforming us. And so some of the ways that the Apostle Paul gives and, and the Apostle John gives for testing true, real Christianity is three different tests. Theological or doctrinal tests, ethical tests, and social tests. And so we see this, as David Garland points out, in 1 Corinthians, he says that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. That's a doctrinal or theological test. Ethical test. He warned in 1 Corinthians 6.18 and 10.14, flee sexual immorality and flee from idolatry. In a social test, he, he berated them for ignoring and mortifying the poor as the Lord, at the Lord's Supper. Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? But given the Corinthians' high opinions of themselves as spiritual ones, Paul may be taking for granted that they will conclude that Christ is indeed in them. Robert Law, in his commentary on 1 John, describes these tests here in 1 John. 1 John 4, 2 says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Ethical test in 1 John. And by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The social test. 
We know that we pass from death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. The Apostle Paul asked the Corinthians, or mentioned to the Corinthians, do you, do you know that Christ, does Christ dwell in you? Okay? And he says in Romans chapter 8, he says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So real Christianity is incarnational. We, we have Christ within us, the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. We are the temple of God. D.A. Carson writes, The scriptures focus on subjective grounds of assurance, i.e. transform lives. Just as in other contexts, they focus on objective ground, the, the, the cross work of Christ. And so, as Christians, we need to have assurance based on what God says clearly in Scripture. This is what God said. This is who God says is a Christian. Those who are believers. Those who have turned from their sins and repented and trusted in Christ. Those who are new creations in Christ Jesus. Alright? And, and also, subjectively, um, uh, yeah, those who've had transformed lives. And those who have the witness of the Spirit dwelling inside of them. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Saints, do you have that witness within yourself that you are a child of God? Because if you are a child of God, the Spirit of God lives inside of you and He bears witness with your spirit that you belong to Him. And I can't give that to anybody. I can tell you what the Scripture says and affirm this is what the Scripture says, but it's the Holy Spirit who does the supernatural work of bringing salvation and transformation in somebody's life. And He affirms that we are the children of God. Upon uh, becoming Christians, Romans 5.5 5 says that, that God pours out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Now, it was John Wesley who lived, who was brought up in a Christian family and who had become a missionary and done lots of Christian service. But he discovered at one point, after all that he had done, growing up in a Christian family, doing all the missionary work that he had done, and he had experienced some fruitless ministry to, um, uh, I, I forgot exactly who it was to, but he was coming back and, and was just discouraged from this, this failed missionary trip. And he heard the gospel. He heard about being justified by faith through uh, a, a Bible study. I think it was on Galatians or Romans. And it was, there was a Bible a, a study being read from Martin Luther's commentary, I believe, on, on Galatians and being justified by faith. And it was as Wesley heard the gospel, the element of being justified freely by faith in Jesus, 
He writes that his heart was strangely warmed. He, he, he describes himself as had truly become converted when he consciously believed the gospel of grace. And he experienced transformation from that day forth. And he had become a true Christian, according to his own testimony, from that day forward. And so I ask you, saints, is Christ in you? Does Jesus dwell inside of you? Does the Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, dwell inside of you and bear witness with your spirit that you are children of God? So Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, just before we, we go into chapter 13 here, Paul made this statement. He said, for I fear that perhaps when I come to you, I may find that you are, you are not as I wish, so that you may find me not as you wish, and that perhaps there may be quarreling, and jealousy, and anger, and hostility, and slander, and gossip, and conceit, and disorder. This is inconsistent with, with following Jesus, right? But yet, the, the Corinthians experienced some of these things, and, and, and even worse. And he says, I fear that, that when I come, again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, the sexual immorality, and the sensuality that they have practiced. So there were some among the Corinthians who were living like unbelievers. And when, when, when somebody is living like an unbeliever, they're not giving and, and practicing, and these, these things characterize their lives. They're, they're, they're giving indication that they may not be a Christian. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he, he lists out a, a list of those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, and such were some of you. That's, that's who you used to be. Adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, drunkards, idolaters. That's who you used to be. But you were washed. You were justified. You were sanctified. Or in 2 Corinthians 5.17, you, you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so real Christianity is restorative and transformative. Paul says, for we are glad when we are weak, you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. Paul aimed for the Corinthians to experience restoration reconciliation, and transformation. He says, finally, in verse 11, he says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. You see, there's good news for us. And that's that Christ has died for our sins. He's taken our place. And he's forgiven us. He's, he's pardoned our sins. And there's power for us to change. We can change. You don't have to stay stuck in your old life of sinfulness and live as a slave to sin. You're not a slave anymore. You've been set free. You're a son and a daughter of God. And so we are to live in the freedom that Christ has provided and allow Christ in us, the power of the Spirit, to produce fruit 
of the Spirit to produce signs of life, signs of life that Christ really is inside of us. Christ really is leading us. Christ really is the Lord of our life. We've come into relationship with God Almighty as our Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us and He causes us to cry out, Abba, Daddy. And Christ is our Lord. Christ is our Savior. Christ is our Messiah, the one who has brought rescue to you and I. And so that that leads us to the last point here, namely that, that real Christianity is Trinitarian. Okay? Now, I know this isn't explicit in, in, in 2 Corinthians 13, but it's implicit here, and it's implicit in other parts of the New Testament, and this is a great opportunity for us to talk about the Trinity here, because real Christianity is Trinitarian. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Paul finishes with this, with this blessing here, um, which is a, is a good summary of, of what he is trying to point the Corinthians to. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, It's the grace of Jesus that brings salvation to us. Jesus coming into this world, becoming poor, taking on flesh, living amongst us. Experiencing temptation, experiencing injustice and the brokenness of this world, suffering upon the cross and exchanging his giving us his righteousness and taking on our sin. The grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God that we find in Jesus and nothing can separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus. We are loved and accepted and forgiven because of what Christ has done. The Father has sent the Son into the world to bring about our salvation. Christ has ascended back into heaven. He has sent His Holy Spirit to, to live inside of us. And now we get the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We get to relate to God and connect with God and have a personal, intimate relationship with God through the person of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit who inspired the words of the New Testament moved upon the apostles to write the words that we have. That are preserved and kept for us. So that we can know God more accurately and intimately. And we can know his will for our lives. And so let me close with a couple points of application. First of all, avoid the unexamined assumption that you're spiritually sound and secure. Avoid the unexamined assumption that you're spiritually sound and secure. Now, I believe that Christians are secure. Genuine Christians are secure. They belong to God, and they have eternal life, and it is eternal life. And none can snatch them out of Jesus' hand, he says. Right? But what I'm saying here is avoid the unexamined assumption that you're in that place. It would be foolish to just assume I'm okay because I go to church. I'm okay because I had an experience years ago. Walk down the aisle and pray to prayer. Okay? 
It would be foolish to 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 assume that you're okay with God and and, and you're, you're you're genuine in your faith, but there's no fruit, no evidence that you're a child of God. There's no love or practice of righteousness. And so let us avoid that that danger, lest lest we hear those fearful words in, in Matthew seven, where Jesus says, "Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord." We prophesied in your name. We cast out many demons in your name. We did many wonderful works in your name. And Jesus will declare to them, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. Here at City Church, part of our vision here is to know Jesus. To know him for real. To know the Jesus of the Bible, the Messiah, the King. To know him and accurately to know him intimately. In John 17, 3, Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. And so let us avoid the unexamined assumption that we're okay and spiritually sound. Now, I believe that Christians can have assurance of salvation, and they should. And that's a benefit of examining ourselves. And in light of scripture, in light of what God says, this is real Christianity, this is what a Christian is. It should shore us up against the doubts and against the lies and against the accusations of, of Satan and, and anyone else who questions where we're at with God. When we see how God describes those who are his. And so gaze in the mirror on God's word and allow the spirit to show you. Your true identity and your spiritual condition. The word of God is like a mirror. And it shows us where we're at. It shows us our condition. Helps us to see ourselves in truth. We have, we're prone to self-deception. James chapter 1 says when we were hearers of the word and we're not doers of the word, we just hear it, we don't take action upon it, we deceive ourselves. That's a dangerous place to be. To just be a hearer of the word and not a doer. And we're not saved by our doing. But our doing is the fruit of genuine faith, of genuine salvation that God has brought about freely in our lives. We couldn't bring it about ourselves. It's by grace through faith you're saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we are his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in. We're not saved by our good works, but we're saved for them. And so lastly here, ask God for mercy and grace where you see it's needed to cover your sins and to be perfected in your weakness. If you're here today and you test yourself and you examine yourself and you question, I don't, I don't know if I'm a Christian. <laughs> and if, if you're concerned about that and you're sorry for your sins, your waywardness and rebellion towards God, that's a really good sign that God's working in your heart. That's a really good sign. Because it's the Spirit who brings the conviction of sin. It's the Spirit who leads us into the truth and opens our eyes and removes the scales. And so let me, let me close in prayer. I'm going to finish early here this morning. 
Transformation Space for a response. Kevin, if you'd come on up. <laughs> 